What does faith and obedience have to do with each other? Today on the Midweek Move, we're going to talk about that. Hello and welcome to the Midweek Move, podcast extension of The Healing Place. This is the podcast where we examine scriptures line by line, verse by verse, and ask ourselves, what is happening here? And ladies and gentlemen, we are in the final stretches of 1 John chapter 5. It has been quite the journey. If you guys haven't uh, been part of the study for at all, I want to encourage you guys to go to our YouTube channel. We have a whole playlist devoted to just this book right here. And uh, here in a couple weeks, we'll be starting uh, 2 John. But uh, today, uh, Pastor Scott, uh, you and I are about to... Begin the final countdown, the final journey, if you will. Well, I've been here for part of this journey. Right. I, I haven't been here for the full journey. I think Carlos was in here. We had George P. Wood was in there yeah. uh, with a little side-by-side action, <laughs> a little Riverside going on there. Shout out to Riverside. They make life easier for us. Not a sponsor, but <laughs> shout out to Riverside. And uh, so I'm, I'm excited. We've we've got a, and I do want to encourage you as you're, as you're, listening to this, as you're watching this, we really do our due diligence to try not to land on opinions mm. and and stand on opinions right? because there are many of those in Scripture. And for people to say they're not, they're, they're not paying attention. Yeah. Um, but what we try to do is land on the absolutes, mm-hmm. the absolutes through the Word of God, and then on the places where there is a little leeway, not to land in our opinion, but simply to say, hey, here's the meaning of this, and here's where certain people historically have landed. Mm-hmm. But understand there is some leeway here. Yeah. And in some things, there is no leeway at all. Exactly. And so as we do this, listen, our our desire is not to create some uh, denomination or doctrine <laughs> for your life. Our desire is that, through our going line by line, you then would be inspired to go line by line yeah. in the context of what you're reading right. and to take a deeper dive to understand what you're really reading. Exactly. And I think that, man, it was really cool this, you know, this past weekend that we started in the letter of Philemon on a Sunday morning right. at the healing place. And you're thinking 25 verses, like, what? Like, okay, this is one sermon. And we're like, no, we're going to do four. (laughs) It's like, what? And we went through seven verses, one message, Mm -hmm. but we really took a deep dive in what some people think are the setup to the meat. Right. But we found out there's mega meat. Yeah. In what we think is just a greeting. Absolutely. And the the writers are saying way more than we can even imagine because we pass by things. Exactly. And I think John is kind of the same way. John is, you know, John is writing about some very, very deep stuff. Mm-hmm. But in the moment, he's not going, oh, a whole denomination is going to start because of this one verse. Right. Oh, I'm going to land on this absolute and... I'm going to write a commentary on what it is. And John doesn't have 1,400 commentaries. Right. He doesn't have all this stuff that we have now. Right. And all he's trying to do is put the focus where it needs to be on Christ. And right. he's dealing with all manner of things, right. of behaviors, beliefs. Right. And his writing exemplifies that. Yeah. And I think we miss that sometimes. We forget what the writers were dealing with and some of the things that were happening around them. And that's what we try to do. We try to bring light to that Mm -hmm. to kind of bring a better understanding. Yeah, absolutely. 
So, and you, Dallas was like, you were looking at me and you were saying that. I know that. <laughs> I was there at the beginning of all this. I know what our purpose is, but you get the point. We're having a conversation. We're having a conversation. It's something we need to remember sometimes. <laughs> you know, because again, there are there are people that we've seen in the past that have, I mean, they have landed hard on points and um, they have caused more division by landing on an opinion yep. as a absolute than anything else. And we've seen whole organizations fall apart because of that. Yeah, and, almost creating a mountain to a uh, hill to die on. Right. And that hill's not even an absolute. Exactly. It's and not even a doctrinal theology. It's not a cornerstone. And we're not saying that there aren't absolutes in the scriptures. That's we're right. not saying that there's not black and whites that are like, this is definitely boom. I mean, the entirety of this whole book here of First John is on an absolute. Jesus Christ came in the flesh. He is divine. If you don't have this, you're not part of the the, uh, the family of God. That's right. End of discussion. That's right. There are absolutes, but within that, there are okay. How do we do this? We're not there. Yeah. We're not in this time frame when John's writing to these people. We're not living this moment. And so there are some things that we're having to read between the lines. We have some historical documentation that helps us to understand things better. Yep. But it's one of those things where, you know, if we don't know, we need to be man enough to say, I don't know. Yeah. And by the way, just heads up. We are going to find ourselves in a couple of places that are uh, not controversial, but there are many different opinions of mm-hmm. what it means. Exactly. Historically, going all the way back, and right. some pretty big names mm-hmm. uh, in Christianity yeah. have disagreed on one of these points we're going to talk about exactly. today. So that's where we want to, we don't want to land on, hey, here's what I think, so that means it's an absolute. Right. No, no, no. Here are some, here are some vantage points of this. Mm-hmm. And where we land is not going to change whether we love Jesus or not. Right. It's just a fact of John has put this in there, but let's look at what's going on around him to help us better define that. Absolutely. Yep. Well, let's jump into it. Chapter five. All right. So we're going to do verse one through three. Yes, sir. Dallas. Okay. So first John chapter five, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God and everyone who loves him, who who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. Now, that's an allusion back to Jesus teaching, those who love me will keep my commands. Exactly. And so he's, he's without it being red letters, he is quoting, uh, in a paraphrase, what Jesus has already taught them. Exactly. And um, so he says, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Right. So this first set of verses, it's really an extension of the final verses of chapter four. It continues the emphasis that we can't truly love God if we don't love each other. Like that's just a flat out aspect. At the same time, though, John explains that we can't truly love others without loving God and keeping his commandments, which is something we've been talking about at the healing place for the last uh, month or so about loving God, loving people. Uh, but they're... In the Christian life, uh, Pastor, there's seem to be this compartmentalization of our faith. We, people like focus like, oh, I'm I'm a word person, I'm a spirit person, or you know, I'm all about this aspect of theology, or I'm all about that. But we're seeing that the, there is no separation. It's an all or nothing thing, and um, I've met people who struggle with that. And I, my question for you is, how would you help somebody who rethink about this whole compartmentalization of their faith? Again, we're here told to love God, love people. And you can't have one without the other. So how do you help somebody rethink their process? Because we do, we break things down in such a systematic way. Well, Jesus, he really did make it simple. That's not to say that 
walking these things out are, are not difficult. Right. But Jesus did simplify it by saying that on everything you've been told, mm-hmm. every commandment you've ever been instructed to keep, hang these two things. Like, mm-hmm. it all hangs on these two things. Right. Again, we know that the entry point was they were questioning him about what the greatest commandment was, but we also know that that was a trick. Right. They really weren't looking for an answer. They were just looking to trip him up, mm-hmm. as the religious did most of the time with Jesus. Right. And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first mm-hmm. commandment. This is the greatest commandment of all, mm-hmm. to love the, God, love the Lord your God with everything. And in that... Why are you loving the Lord God with everything? Jesus said it because he has first loved us, right. right? Created us in his own image. And the second is like it. Now, wait a second. You said the greatest is to love the Lord God with all of it. Now you're saying the second is like it, mm-hmm. meaning that what comes after this is based off of what went before it. Right. Meaning that whatever comes after it, what came before it has to be the root. Mm-hmm. has to be the base, which means the love of God. Right. Not just receiving the love of God, but then taking that and loving God back with the same emphasis and the same sacrifice and the same surrender back to God of which he's already given you. Then love your neighbor. Most of us then would put our neighbor as number two, but that's wrong. Love your neighbor as yourself. yourself. So it's like, Okay, I love God, and in loving God, then I have a better understanding of who I am in him. Now I'm not my behavior. I'm not my genealogy. Mm. I'm not what the world says I am. I'm not my job. I'm not, I'm not anything that the world would title me as, mm-hmm. but I am a child of God, and I know who I am. Why? Be through the love of God. Yeah. So now I love the Lord God with all of my heart, with everything I've got. And now I know who I am in him and I can love that person Yeah, because that person is not my addiction or my behavior or my inadequacies, but now I can love myself because I see myself as a child of God. I know I'm a child of God. I love that person Mm -hmm. because that person is created in the image of God Mm. and meant to have relationship and communion with God. I love that guy. Mm. I love that guy because he's not perfect, but he's redeemed. Right. He's forgiven. Mm-hmm. I love that guy. Yeah. There's no apathy in that guy because that guy loves the Lord with everything he's got. And now I can love someone else out of those two places mm-hmm. of knowing God, knowing who I am in God. And now the love that I give somebody, it's not filled with Scott. Mm. It's filled with God. Right. Why? Because it's from the Scott who's been redeemed through the blood of the lamb and the word of his testimony and through that lens, now it's not a phileo love. It is an agape love. Mm. It's an unconditional love. Right. Now I can love as God loves because it's through God. Right. And so, again, it sounds complex, but Jesus really did break it down and make it easy. Right. Is that all of it lands right here. Right. And if we can do that, then you don't compartmentalize. You don't be like, oh, I love God. But you know what? I really have a struggle with that person. I don't love them. Right. And somehow in your brain, you can compartmentalize that and make that right. Mm-hmm. How could God want me to love that person? They hate God right. and they hate me. They don't even receive me. Why would God want me to love them? Because he first loved you. Right. Exactly. Like, and I think that, again, 
you say compartmentalize. Well, what is car- compartmentalizing doing? You're building walls. Yeah. You're and separating you're, it. You're separating everything up. Well, what did Jesus do when he came? He broke down the middle wall of separation. Right. Right? So he broke down the compartment. Well, I don't like the Gentiles, and God said that was okay. Well, I don't like the Jews, and God said that was okay. Mm-hmm. No. Jesus breaks down the middle wall of separation. Now there is no compartmentalization of me going, I don't like a Gentile or I don't like a Jew, and I can do that because of this, this, and this, and this. No, through Christ now, the mediator, the sacrifice, the atonement, the Lamb of God, all those walls are down. Mm-hmm. And now we are one in Christ and through Christ. Right, exactly. Now, context. I don't know if that answered your question. It did or not. a little bit because it's, it's just it's, it's answering the question of like we just have to see everyone as the same as us. And now, contextually, this is all about loving our brothers, those in the faith. But going back to Jesus' words, it's across the board: love everyone, even those who you you don't like, those who maybe are outside of faith. We're supposed to love them because why? Because the love of God leads people to repentance, it leads yep. them to grace, and so that is an aspect that uh, it's a challenge for people because I think we. We put up these blocks to guard ourselves. Uh, there are potentially cultural prejudices that were that are given to us by family members, just by areas we live in. But this is the this is the shift in mindset that God really brings into people, brings to the to earth. Is there is no, well, there's no Jew or Greek. There's no met, yeah. uh, slave or free. There's no man or female. There's just those in Christ. And that is a, it is a legitimate mind shift we have to make when we're looking at people, looking at the world around us. And that's why I think Paul was so clear that transformation by the renewing of your mind, mind, exactly, not your heart, yeah, your mind. It's a new way of thinking. Mm-hmm. And, and John even covers a lot of it. It doesn't mean that we fellowship with everyone. That's right. It doesn't mean that we have conania with everyone doesn't mean that we have covenant relationships with everyone. Mm-hmm. We don't covenant ourselves with sin. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that we hate sinners or people who are unbelievers or atheists or agnostics or whoever. Right. It doesn't mean that you hate those people. Mm-hmm. You can't if you're a Christian. Right. You have to love. But it also doesn't mean that you fellowship with that, that you come into agreement with that and mm-hmm. fellowship with that. Again, it's that whole... A circle of relationships. You come into covenant. I came into covenant with Tanya, and now my family circle got really small, and it was me and Tanya. And mom and brother and siblings, they're on the outer circle. Right. My mom can't come in and control my household anymore. I have a wife. Yeah. That's my responsibility. So exactly. that's small circle. Doesn't mean I don't love my mom. It just means she takes a different place in my life. Right. And now these people take a different place. And these people, they're all valuable, and we love them all. But it's up to us to put them where they fit and where they belong. It's not their fault if they try to take a place right. that they're not anointed to take. It's up to us to put them where they belong. But we're to have love for all of them. Exactly. And that shouldn't be a, such a difficult concept, but it is. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So we go in. Uh, let's do four and five. All right. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Okay, so John is dealing with the conversation of the burden of biblical Christianity, if you will. Uh, The heretics of the day, they made faith easier in what they were saying. It's like, well, you don't have to do all this stuff. It's so much easier for you to go 
this direction. If we leave behind the law, leave behind the rules of the scriptures, um, but believing in Christ, loving God and his people and obeying his commandments, they're what allows us to overcome what's taking place in the world. Again, part of the argument is like, well, you're being persecuted because you're so strict in the world and not the world, but in what the Bible says, it's much easier. Well, me being in Christ, I can overcome the things of the world. Um, and here at the healing place, we have this discussion on, uh, scriptures are a guardrail for us. Um, if you had someone who was struggling with the restrictions of Christianity, because it's just not easy, whether it's in the workplace, whether it's in their day-to-day life, how would you walk them through the process of understanding the principle of guardrails in their lives? Yeah, well, we know that guardrails are put in place for a reason, and mm-hmm. that's because there's danger on the other side of those normally. Right. For years, we were in Arkansas for years, and in North Arkansas, it used to be that to get to Fayetteville, Arkansas, you would have to go through this winding, I mean, just mountain, and you were just winding through, and there was no room Mm. on the side of the road. Mm -hmm. No room. There was no pulling over. There was no getting close to the edge. There were no guardrails, and you would go 100, 150 feet off, period. Mm -hmm. So they make this super highway now that goes to Fayetteville, and they plowed through this mountain. So there's a tunnel that's actually through this mountain now. Oh, wow. And it was funny to me because when they put the superhighway, they actually put guardrails through the back way now. So now everybody's going the superhighway, and now they decide to put guardrails up, you know, <laughs> and it snows up there. And so you're talking about real danger. You're talking about death. Right. What happened? You can look at the guardrails as a restriction that I've got to keep it between these lanes, but you keep it between that lane to keep you safe. Right. And that is the things of God are guardrails for us. Jesus is the way. He is, there is a narrow path that's before us, and it's narrow for a reason. It's not narrow because God doesn't love us. Right. It's not narrow because God wants to make it hard. It's narrow because God has put things into place to keep us safe. Yeah. And in that safety, there is freedom. You know, God's kindness leads us to repentance, and we take that word kindness, and we're like, oh, it's because God's so gentle and loving and kind. No, God's correction is kindness. Mm -hmm. So even in his rebuke, we know that it's because he loves us. God chastens those he what? Loves. So he puts those guardrails in our lives because he loves us, Mm -hmm. not because he wants to diminish us or keep us back or hold us back for anything. Mm -hmm. Through Christ, now we are more than conquerors. It's not like God's trying to hold us back from doing great things in the (laughs) kingdom of God. God's actually releasing us to do amazing things through the power of the Holy Spirit. And those guardrails are there to ensure that we do it in a way that continually leads to him and not to us. Yeah. The broad path is what leads to destruction. When there's no guardrails, that leads to destruction. The narrow path leads not only to life, but life more abundant. Mm. And so when we talk about guardrails, to me, I don't see it as restrictions. Mm-hmm. I see it as freedom. Yeah. I don't see it as restrictions. Mm-hmm. Whatever God is keeping me from, it's for my benefit. Exactly. And not only my benefit, it's for your benefit. Right. If God's holding me back from something and I have influence in your life, God is holding me back to protect me and to protect you. And also, number one, above everything else, to protect his name. Yeah. And we forget that, that those guardrails are put into place to protect the name of the Lord. Mm -hmm. Because God is for himself. Because it's in him that 
all the glory and all the honor and all the power. It's in him that transformation comes and freedom comes. Yeah. If his name is lifted up, he will draw all people unto himself. Yeah. Not my name. And so the guardrails protect the glory that's attached to the name of God. Yeah. And that is our primary concern. Mm -hmm. that, that is our primary concern. That the name of the Lord be valued and honored and lifted up. Yeah. So that people are drawn to him and not to us. Mm -hmm. And we are raised in a culture that wants to draw people to us or our organization or our brand or our trademark rather than to the Lord. And sadly, it's even done in the church. Yeah. I'm going to trademark all my sermons and you're going to have to pay. <laughs> Again, I'm not rebuking anybody. I'm just saying motives matter. Yeah. Motives matter. And when our trademarks and our, our, our stuff mm -hmm. becomes more important than protecting his name and his glory, then we are on a broad path and not a narrow path. Absolutely. I'll add this to the conversation. I have a, I have a good friend of mine that had, um, he put a lot of big guardrails in his life and uh, his children on the back end, they're like, man, this is a burden. Why do we have all this? Well, as his children have progressed and they've gotten older, that's now the realize, realization that, well, dad put in guardrails to protect us because dad went off the guardrails. Yep. Dad went off the beaten path, lost his mind, and it's burdensome. It seems like there's a lot of stuff, but dad understood, if I don't have this here, then I know the burden that comes by going off the track, yep. by not keeping you safe. Yeah. You know, and that's the, that's the role of a father is to protect his children, even if they don't like it. And God, our father, has set up guardrails for us to keep us safe because he knows what will take place. If we go off the beaten track. Yeah. He, he, kno he knows our flesh. Yeah. He loves us <laughs> enough to do that. Yep. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. Good. All right. We are what? Six and seven. Uh, let's do six first. Okay. Six. Oh yeah. Okay. Now I <laughs> this see. This is the one we're going to have a conversation. Uh, here about. we go. <laughs> Watch this be the shortest conversation we've had so far. <laughs> this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not only by water, but by water and blood, and it is the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is truth. All right, so this is one that we, uh, off mic, Pastor and I got into a conversation about because um, there's been a lot of opinions about what's talking about here about water and, and blood. Now, uh, Augustine, who's an early church father, he believed that this was a suggestion to um, the piercing of Jesus. Um, when they pierced Jesus, water and blood came out. Um, at the crucifixion. Uh, Calvin and Luther suggest that it may be reference to the sacraments. Um, there's a, and there's a lot of different reasons for different people's thinking process or thinking different things. Um, there are some uh, who lean now, more sacraments, meaning baptism and baptism and then uh, the taking of communion. Yeah. And so, and then there's some who believe that this is the uh, reference to Jesus' baptism and his death or his crucifixion on the cross, the, the water and the blood. And um, again, there's several different ideas taking place here. Yeah, you, there's a fourth There's a fourth that is water and blood and spirit, and we'll read it a little bit later, but water, blood, and spirit. Water being that Jesus was, was born mm -hmm. of a virgin, of a woman, the water of the womb, right? Mm -hmm. Born uh, and then died, blood, and then the spirit, which is the resurrection, and and all the spiritual principles that go with, with the life of Jesus. That leaning more towards 
100% man, 100% God. Right. Um, so he was, he was born, he died, but then the spiritual aspect of it. Now there are some that say that, uh, when he was baptized in water, like he received Christ's spirit. Mm-hmm. That to me is very flimsy because he's living, he's lived a sinless life up to that point. So, exactly. so that would have been impossible without the, without the spirit of God. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't think that that one holds any weight at all, but really there are probably four that you could make a case for Right. four different opinions of what that might be that you could make a case for mm-hmm. me. I probably land in the birth and the death and the spirit mm-hmm. um, rather than his water baptism, his death. I probably land his birth because of what I think you're about to talk about that was going on around that time and the people. Mm-hmm that that John was having to deal with. Yeah. And again, that's the point of this verse here. Again, you can kind of get there with, eight, with all four of these theories, but it's about the revelation of Jesus as human, as flesh, but also being divine. Again, we have to remember that the early audience, they were dealing with heretics who were saying that Jesus was never flesh. He was never a man, period, in a discussion. Um, and several other Basically aspects. the mystics. The mystics. The mystics, the, yeah. the, the, the Gnostics. The Gnostics, yeah. um, And so, and again, there's also aspects of the fact that um, they were denying not just his fleshlyhood, but also whether or not it was, we needed the Old Testament law. And so, um, with that conversation, that's where you have the, like, you know, well, if it is the birth of the womb and then the blood on the cross, that shows his humanity. If it is baptism, if it is his cross, that shows the fulfillment of the law and the prophecy. There are all these aspects that take place, but the whole point is go, Jesus was a real person. Yep. He walked from among us, and he fulfilled what God had for us. Yep, 100%. We cannot deny this because that is what's being denied. Because you had both of those 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 uh, threats mm-hmm. to Christianity at the time, which was Jesus supernatural being only, yeah. Jesus um, like fully man, just a man. Mm-hmm. And so now it's Jesus was a good prophet. He was a good man. God used him, or it was, hey, he was fully God, never was fully a man. So all these things were going on at one time. Mm -hmm. All these threats to Christianity were coming in, which we know as we've walked through this with Peter, with John, their letters, like rebuking heresies, apostates, the spirit of Antichrist, all these things Mm -hmm. were happening around these guys. And so, again, John's not writing these things down going, oh, they're going to, you know, this is a 1,400-word comp commentary on this doctrine or this right. theology or this denomination. He's not thinking about that. He's he's simply responding to what is happening around and the threats that are coming through heretics, whether it's Gnostics, mysticism, whatever it was, intellectualism, mm-hmm. all these things are going on around him. Mm-hmm. And he's just laying right through it and going, this is the word of the Lord. Exactly. Exactly. Well, uh, Pastor, we do... Uh, verse 7, I want to br- t- briefly touch on verse 7, then we'll continue on. But if you can reverse up some for us. For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. And this is an interesting verse because it's one of our variant texts uh, that we have. Um, the If you'll read some of the more Variant modern, text. Explain variant, quickly what variant text is. Variant text is where we have a situation where we have various manuscripts, and some of the manuscripts have a different writing, a different presentation. Now, what we have with the New King James, which is what you and I are both using, great translation, I use it often, um, is it's based off of the Textus Receptus and the Latin Vulgate. And in that, they had this verse, verse 7. The problem that we're running into 
And what you run into with the more modern texts with like English Standard Version, New American, is the fact that it's not found in the earliest text. In fact, from one of my research I found, only four texts actually have this verse in it. I'm sorry, eight texts had it, and four of them had it in the margin. It wasn't even the full body. And so a lot of uh, scholars to go, more likely this was a marginal note that an early scribe wrote into his writings because, let's be real, we all do that. (laughs) I remember uh, last week for your sermon, you sent Dan a picture of your Bible with your notes written in your Bible. Yeah. You know, that's not scripture. That's, she didn't get a transcript. Yeah. Those were <laughs> affirmations. So likely this was an affirmation of, the, of a doxology of our faith, of what's really happening here. And over the years, as people copied it over, it made it into the body. Does taking this out remove our faith? No. no. The, the, the triune nature of God is testified over and over and over again in scriptures. But one of the interesting conversations is if we do take the, uh, the older translations... Uh, the older, like the the Byzantine text, I'm sorry, the Alexandrian text and everything, if we take those readings, it actually reads out a little bit smoother into verse 8 because this whole portion here just kind of chops up the conversation. And so going into verse 8, it would be there, uh, in some translations they read out, for there are three that bear witness, and then we go into the uh, verse 8 where it talks about witness on earth, the spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree as one. And I tend to lean into this conversation a little bit better, more. A, I, I'm a, a believer of the older a manuscript is, the more accurate it is. But also, it continues the conversation from beforehand in verse 6 about the water, the blood, and the spirit. And so that's kind of where I, I fall in with verse 7 being a, a variant text. It was added later, um, not maliciously. It was just one of those things that it happened. And some would say, like, okay, why is this important? Why are we even dealing with this? Because some people don't, and they don't acknowledge these things. Mm-hmm. And I think with with especially the generation that's 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 younger right now, it is important that we understand that the Bible is the authority. It is God's authority. Mm-hmm. It is infallible, authoritative, the Word of God. But it does not mean that there haven't been some translated issues throughout the years. Let's acknowledge that. Mm -hmm. It doesn't demean or diminish the Word of God. Mm -hmm. It simply means through translation, through the years, there are certain things that are variant, like you said. Mm -hmm. It doesn't diminish the Word of God at all. At all. That's why it's important that we point it out. All right. So you read verse 8. We have 9? Yeah, go ahead and add 9 into that. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater, for this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his son. Okay, so again, this just is a continuation, in my opinion, of what we were talking about before, and about the witness of the um, the spirit, the blood, and the water. But I'd like to hear your take on this, Pastor. Of? Of how this works out with verse 6, and the witnessing of, of the body, I mean, of the blood, the spirit, and the water. Well, again, in verse 6, he says, because the spirit is truth, Jesus you go all the way back to the Samaritan woman at the well, and he says mm-hmm. that the only way you can worship is in spirit and in truth. Mm-hmm. So worship wasn't the the purchasing of an animal, wasn't the blood of an animal. Worship wasn't coming to a temple to, to give alms. Worship is now in spirit and in truth, Jesus mm-hmm. says. And now is the time. This is, I'm among you right now. 
in spirit and in truth. And then he says, because the spirit is truth, verse uh, verse 9, he says, the witness of God is greater, for this is the witness of God which he has testified of his son, who is the way, truth, and the life. Right. And again, we, we talk about the spirit of God, whether water and blood refers to his baptism, his birth, and both his death, irregardless of all of that, and mm-hmm. all of it is the spirit of truth. Right. It is Jesus was born of a virgin. He was born of a virgin, and upon uh, living a sinless life, he gets to the point of going to John the Baptist and baptizing him in water, and as he's baptized in water, the dove falls, uh, signifying the Spirit of God. The voice of the Father comes and validates him as his son. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus goes on to the cross blood and water come out. It's Mm -hmm. like you can put all four together. Yeah. (laughs) But in all of it, the spirit is truth. Right. The spirit of God, the supernatural spirit of God. Right. Our spirit, bearing witness with his spirit. God speaks to our soul through our spirit. Mm -hmm. The enemy comes at our soul through our senses, Mm -hmm. our flesh. And so in all of this, again, in all four of those, those thinkings, it comes down to the fact of the testimony of the truth mm-hmm. and the truth of the Son of God and right. the Son of Man, mm-hmm. the Son of David, right. which Jesus was called all of these. And so to me, I don't, you know, again, you can get so caught up in one of those four that you totally miss what the actual truth of this, the absolute of it. Right. And what we're landing at is the absolute. Right. We're not going to contend the four right. different thinking processes of the water, the blood, and the spirit. Because ultimately, the spirit is the truth of it. Exactly. Not to mention the fact this is he says that this is God's testimony Himself. That's right. You know they're they're dealing with the testimony of man about you know well Jesus wasn't really a fleshly person Jesus wasn't that and we get caught up in all these things but like what does God say? What has God actually said and stand on it? Yep. So all right, what verses are next? Uh, Ten. And we're stopping there. Uh, yeah, for a second. Okay. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. So here, what is the witness in yourself? Well, the Spirit of truth. Right. Because if you believe in the Son of God, now you have received the Holy Spirit, Mm -hmm. right? And so he says, he who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar Mm. because he has not believed the testimony that God has given his Son. Good. Now, again, this is he's dealing with a crowd that is claiming to represent God beginning to are claiming to, uh, you know, know the secret hidden truth. This is a little bit of tongue in cheek right here. Yeah. Yeah. But he's saying, it's like, look, if you do not know Jesus, if you not believe him in the fullness of who Jesus is, you don't know God. Yep. Plain and simple. That's just and how when he says is. you make God a liar. That is a little bit tongue in cheek because God is not a man that he should lie. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And again, their proclamation isn't that God said this. It is the witness of men. Mm-hmm. It is the proclamation of men. Right that these things are this. Right. It's the, I have a secret knowledge for you. Yeah. And then John just totally flips it upside down. <laughs> exactly. And he does exactly what Jesus did to the religious of his day. Yeah. So uh, let's land this with uh, verses 11 and 12, Pastor. And this is the testimony, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. So, again, the testimony that these guys are giving is that you don't necessarily need Jesus. He's kind of changing that. He's he's flipped the script on me, saying, "No, you need him." The reality, though, is we have a a 
form of this is the exact same thinking today in modern life. Uh, so my question for you is, how does this, with well, this passage, how does it compare to the philosophy that there are many ways to God? And how do you uh, how do you bring this to a person who's living that mindset of, well, there's different ways to get to God? Sure, yeah. I mean, you can go uh, humanist. You know, that's a big thing now. Even in progress, what folks would call progressive Christianity, which I wouldn't even label that Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, man has done this forever. So this is not a new concept right. of creating multiple ways to God. Mm-hmm. The people that were building the Tower of Babel were trying to do it for themselves, to make a name for themselves, building a tower to heaven to make a name for themselves. It's not a new concept. And so when we say multiple ways to God, again, it's not a new concept. But Jesus was clear that he is the way. There is no other way to the Father. Right. After that, the apostles and disciples backed that up by saying there is no name given among men mm-hmm. by which you can be saved except through the name of Jesus. Right. When Peter and, and John are arrested, they're not told not to speak the name of God, but Jesus, specifically Jesus. Mm-hmm. Why? Because he's the way. Right. If we shut that down, then we can shut down this whole Christianity. If you can disprove David, then you disprove the son of David. If you disprove all the ancient prophecies that people have tried to use to disprove Jesus, when in all the while the prophecies don't disprove Jesus, they prove that Jesus Christ is Messiah. Mm -hmm. And so this whole concept of multiple ways to the one true God, again, it's not a new concept, and we land exactly where John landed then is that here's the truth. He's the Son of God. Right. The Spirit of truth is in the Son of God. Yeah. These bear witness, and he talks about the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. These bear witness. And, and so I don't know if that's an answer, but that's my culmination of that, is that, again, you can't convince somebody, but the truth is the truth. Yeah, 100%. And I think Christians are sometimes afraid to speak the truth because they feel maybe it's unkind mm. or maybe not generous. Right. Um, I think we talked about this maybe a couple of weeks ago, grace and truth yeah. and how Jesus always functioned in both. And the woman who was caught in adultery and about to be stoned mm-hmm. and Jesus gives her this amazing grace. But at the same time, he says, go and sin no more mm. truth. You were in sin and they were saying the truth but their motives were wrong. They had no grace for you. Mm -hmm. My kingdom is not just about this. My kingdom is about this grace and truth. And I think that Christians sometimes begin to bend their theology to where then it becomes another gospel, just as Paul rebuked the early church for who have you been listening to? Who's gotten you off the path? Who stops you from running? Mm -hmm. You're, you're listening to another gospel. Well, in a sense, there is no other gospel because this is the good news. Exactly. And I think sometimes that, that people who are believers are so afraid to tell the truth, again, because they feel like it's not kind, that they lean more this way. And as they do, they actually lean away from the true gospel. Because yeah. the good news isn't just our thinking, our worldly thinking of good. Mm-hmm. 
because our worldly thinking of good is what makes us comfortable, what we like, what we enjoy, exactly. all of those things, where the true gospel breaks through all of that and gets to the very core of our spiritual need, which we can't see here on earth. Yeah, totally. Well, guys, here in Second Mass, Pastor Scott, to give us his final thoughts on this chapter or this section of chapter five as a whole. But I really want to encourage you guys, this whole conversation, we started off by talking about faith and how that leads to obedience and you know the fact that it's in Jesus. There's only one way, and it's through Jesus. And if you need prayer, you need some help walking through some of this stuff, let us know. Reach out to us, mediahub at thpstreetport.com. Uh, we want to pray with you. We want to help you take your next step with God. Pastor, what are your final thoughts on this? Um, five words. Okay. And it's actually the header on, on one part of my reading. The mm-hmm. certainty of God's witness. Mm. The certainty of God's witness. Yeah. Spirit and truth. Yeah. The certainty of God's witness. That even in my doubts, I can still be certain. Yeah. I can still speak the truth. But the certainty of God's witness. Yeah. It's good stuff. All right, guys. Well, if we can encourage you, let us know. MediaHub at tspstreetport.com or check out our Facebook page. Just look for Midweek Move. And uh, we'd love to pray with you, help you take your next step. If you're looking for a church in your Shreveport area, come check us out. 8957 Kingston Road, Shreveport, Louisiana. Until next time, have a great week. Thank you.